I'm your host, Chris Randazzo, and I'm joined this evening, as always, by Wiggling Car Part, Paul Giroux. Uh, it's either going to be a 20-cent fix, or your car will be totaled, or you might have a third problem. <laughs> and Space Rock Reclaimer, Sean Doyle. Bad, Wes Anderson. Bad! <laughs> That's not how you make a movie. Bad! Well, to be fair, to be fair, it was a movie. <laughs> <laughs> this month's letter was A, and we went with Paul's pick, Asteroid City. Was this movie enough to make Sean a Wes Anderson fan? Let's find out. Spoiler alert, no. Uh, <laughs> boy, oh boy. How is everyone doing, huh? How, how, well, how, right, you, so, how you doing? I feel like me? we're on a limited timetable with this um, podcast. Uh, right. This podcast Sean needs to pizza. be... Exactly as long as it takes Domino's Pizza to go through you. <laughs> All right, so Sean's still eating, so I'll talk about my thing real quick. Uh, I've been having just a wonderful, a wonderful nerdy week this week. It's been just uh, filled with joys. Uh, I- I'm such a Star Wars nerd, and this Ahsoka show is making me so happy. I'm just freaking thrilled with it. It's calling back to all the cartoon stuff and magical and wonderful ways. Uh, so I'm just thrilled with that. But then today there was a Nintendo Direct, which is a thing that Nintendo does where it's like, here's a bunch of games that are coming out. And they shadow dropped a couple things, which means here's a game we're announcing now and it's out now. One of the games that I bought today had me laughing so hard. It's called Trombone Champ. And it is. It's a game about pay- playing trombone poorly, which is exactly as amusing as it sounds. <laughs> Um, I just, I don't even know how to put it into words. These little things show up on the screen and you just kind of move the controller up and down to try to match the lines, but it plays the trombone sound with this little goofy-ass cartoon character bopping back and forth to whatever public domain music you're playing this trombone to, like... Ode to Joy or Happy Birthday. Well, Happy Birthday is in public domain. Or is it public domain now? Either way. Uh, <laughs> and you just try and play trombone as best you can, which is always terrible. So it just sounds like this complete and total mess of trombone noises. It's it's freaking wonderful. When you fifteen dollars. Lo- when you lose and you fail, does the game go? Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> it rates you constantly as you're playing. Uh, so, like, every single note you play is, like, either, um... I had an ex that did sex like that. <laughs> <laughs> the the official d- description, honk, blow, and toot your way through over 45 songs. Collect all 50 unique tromboner cards and uncover the mysteries of the tromboverse. <laughs> so, I figured out, with, I just went in all these, like, discovery things. Uh, you can trade in... Uh, toot coins or something, and you get these little trading cards that just have various trombone players throughout history on them. 
which is funny enough. And then I started reading the cards, and they're filled with hysterically inaccurate information. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you start up a, uh, start up a game, it, the loading screen has some sort of trombone fact, which is like, there's only enough brass in the world to make four trombones. And that's what all the brass was used for, or something like that. Or, like, uh, if you laid every every trump, there's more trombones on Earth than humans. And it just completely made up Syphil and Holly-style f- rock facts about trombones, which is amazing. I, I, I cannot speak highly enough about this stupid, stupid game, and I'm so happy it, it's in my life. We have enough trombones in this country for every man, woman, and child to own three <laughs> trombones. <laughs> Um, and there was a bunch of other nerdy Nintendo shit too that just like had me my head spinning, and I'm so so very happy right now. And well, but right. yeah, Trombone as, Hero. Well, Trombone as, as interesting as your uh, Nintendo stories is, uh, uh, you know, uh, can we can we go back to the non-nerd thing you said about uh, the Ahsoka show? Um, I'm gonna make Sean <laughs> put down his his pizza and answer a question. Sean, have you watched Star Wars Rebels? Is that the cartoon? Yeah. It's a cartoon. No, no, I have not. I And, it, and are you I, watching Ahsoka, or are you behind as you usually are? I'm way behind. I, I'm always behind on Star Wars. I, and it's not that I don't love Star Wars. I do. I, I'm not nearly at the level that you guys are. I've never read the comic books. I haven't watched the cartoons. I've seen all the movies. Uh, and the TV shows, I, I'm still, like, a couple behind. And I, it, there's no... It's not to say anything negative. I loved both seasons of uh, The Mandalorian. There's uh, been three. Oh, is there three? <laughs> I didn't see that third one. Uh, and then what did I start? What was after that? Was it, was it the Obi-Wan thing? There's three Mandalorians, The Book of Boba Fett, and Obi-Wan. Uh, yeah, and, I haven't... And Andor. I'm, I'm, There's the Andor. Oh, and too. Andor, right. Yeah, I'm behind... I yeah. Andor's outstanding. I, I will get to that stuff. I do enjoy it. It's just uh, not on... Yeah, I don't know. I, I'll get there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I... I um. Yeah, I, I'm asking, like, I, I don't watch a lot of the cartoon stuff either. Like, I tried to watch Clone Wars, and I, I couldn't get into it. I was like, why are they all squarey looking, and who is this made for? Like, this seems like a lot of space politics in a children's cartoon. Um, yeah, Clone Wars then, is tough. Yeah. I have a whole episode, a whole, whole truncated episode list I came up with for that show, because I don't recommend anyone watch all of clone wars yeah. that's a bad idea but we did we did watch rebels and i loved it and then yeah this ahsoka show feels like it's just a live action version of rebels like it feels like it's, it's just, just Rebels season five yeah it's, it feels like what it is so i am curious what somebody that didn't watch that hasn't watched rebels thinks of the ahsoka show like karen I'm is enjoying it okay all right cool yeah, she is she's enjoying it she's also got me um so like I'm filling in any any dots that need to be filled in, and we also watch the recap shows afterwards. So she's getting a lot of the stuff filled in after the fact, but um, it's obviously not connecting with her on this in the same way that it's connecting with me. But she's following it and very much enjoying it. So uh, especially this latest episode, I was kind of like, "This is this is Star Wars at its weirdest." You know, we're <laughs> we're communing with space whales right now. This is a uh, not the this is this is not Empire Strikes Back, but uh, I don't know that commuting with whales really panned out for Star Trek. I don't know that Star Wars should be taking a page out of the book right there. Space worked whales. out pretty well. Different whales, space whales. Yeah, yeah. these are 
These are space whales that can Keep telling naturally that. travel through hyperspace. <laughs> they, they, kind of, they kind of look like big dicks moving through space. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of do. Um, oh my god, I, I, loved, I loved them. I loved them. I loved that whole scene. Everything about it. This, this Ahsoka going all Gandalf the White. Like, I'm just... Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't want to get too deep into it because Sean hasn't seen it, and I also feel like this is like spoilers, spoilers, spoilers for a thing that's happening right now. Um, but I, I, I'm seeing on Facebook that everybody universally loved that last episode. Everybody's like, "Oh my god!" And I, I didn't think that last episode was that great. Like, I didn't feel like much happened. You know, like I, I didn't. I felt like it was a lot of flourish and not a lot of substance. Oh wow, I I usually disagreed. All the complaints I've seen about the episode, because I've seen a lot of people who are just like, yeah, it was stupid, Disney Star Wars sucks, everything's horrible, uh, because that's that's the Star Wars fandom right there. Uh, I, but a lot of the complaints were about, like, how come they didn't show, like, all of these battle sequences? And I'm like, because the battle wasn't the point. If you show, If you made this giant, bombastic battle sequence, then you're going to be looking at the giant, bombastic battle sequence. The whole point was just what she saw, and I I I thought that was a a really fun trip through her character and trying to get her out of the funk that she's been in since Rebels started. Right? Because you, know, you said you didn't really watch much of Clone Wars, but she was a much more optimistic character in Clone Wars, and then at the end of Clone Wars, the uh, basically uh, the the short story long uh, a Jedi framed ahsoka because she was she was disillusioned with the jedi order so she framed ahsoka uh for some sort of like big murder and the jedi council just kind of fell for it and anakin was the only one that that backed her up and eventually he helped prove her innocence and then the jedi council was just like shit we're so sorry we messed up please come back uh you know everything's fine everything's under the rug no harm no foul and she was just like no i'm done with you and she just left the order and she then by extension she left Anakin and ever since then she's been a much different like more dour character like they like the way Rosario Dawson's been playing her pretty pretty serious and reluctant to train anybody because of all the shit that went down at the end of Clone Wars and so the whole her whole journey of confronting you know the, the whole concept that she wanted to be a Jedi to be a keeper of the peace and all you know, all any of the Jedi knew during that time period was not being a keeper of the peace. They were being soldiers the entire time because that was what keeping the peace is in wartime. And she didn't ever really jived with that. Uh, so coming to grips with all that and coming to grips with what happened between her and, and Anakin when she fought him and, and rebels, like there was a lot of stuff for her to you know make peace with. And I thought it was really cool to see her go through all that and then come out the other end a different character. And it was really cool seeing a. Uh, Kane and Jairus's kid make the connection and like I love what the show's doing about non-force non-force users being able to access the force because like that's kind of the whole thing the force resides in everything and everyone you know just some people are super attuned to it and some people aren't so like when Hera was able to hear the lightsabers in the world between worlds I thought that was super cool I love all the stuff about Ahsoka trying to train Sabine, somebody who has no innate force capabilities to use the force, is freaking fascinating to me. Uh, so, so yeah, just emotionally speaking, I got a lot out of the episode, and not only that, but I I love it when when old things that I don't like get uh, a spit shine and turned into something that I do like. And 
for Hayden Christensen to be on camera and me not want to barf was uh, pretty <laughs> impressive. Like, he came out and he did his best Matt, I think Matt Lanter is his name, the, the guy who played Anakin in the Clone Wars. He did his best impression of that version of the character. And it was so much better than anything he did in the prequels. Because he seems like a perfectly nice guy. I got nothing personal against Hayden Christensen, but I did not care for his performance in Star Wars 2 and 3. I just did not enjoy it at all. Uh, did somebody? Apparently a lot of people did. Or at no. least they're saying they did now. Because I remember back when we were kids and watching it, nobody liked that shit. It wasn't acting. It was bad. Agreed. But right now, there is a huge swath of very angry Star Wars fans who hate Disney, and they're like, the prequels are the best Star Wars ever. Two and three are masterpieces. Hayden Christian is getting all the love he des he's deserved this whole time. He was a master class. So great to have him back. I'm like, what? What? Planet? What universe? Whatever. I have no delusions about being a great actor. I am not. <laughs> but I feel like I could have done better than him in two and three. I agree. I would have paid more money. I would have paid money to see you in that role. <laughs> I, I think I could have done it better. <laughs> so, yeah, he went up. He went, he did that whole thing and he didn't do what he did in, in episodes two and three. And like, again, it wasn't spectacular. It wasn't like, oh, my God, except what was great and something that he's always been good at is his physicality with a lightsaber. Like, as a fighter with a lightsaber, he's really, really fun to watch. He's very, very fast, and he hasn't missed a step. And I'm really loving the fight choreography in this show. Like, they're doing a lot of really, really cool, stabby dodge moves that are... Uh, I'm just, just enjoying the crap out of it. But yeah, that last episode was... Uh, uh, I was I was feeling all kinds of feeling uh, throughout that episode. God damn it, Chris, leading me down a Star Wars rabbit hole. Um, I, I'll say that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I'll say I'll, I'll say that maybe this is where I'm. I get hung up with the show because I didn't watch Clone Wars. So all of this stuff that you're saying about her journey and that, like, I I have no idea what that was. But like the stuff that's directly from Rebels, Sabine and Hera and Chopper and everybody, like I'm. I'm really digging the continued story of those people. So I guess that's where I'm sucked into it. Right. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll say about these star Wars weirdos that are holding up the prequels. Uh, I will, you know, I will take a, a Disney sequel any day over the star, the, the George Lucas prequels. Um, I, I actually think that uh, this is going to be controversial. I actually think that episode one is the most watchable of the prequels. <laughs> like that is, that is word for word what I always say. Yeah. I find no, one to be the I, most I agree. I, I agree entirely. Three is nigh unwatchable. And a large part of it's Hayden Christensen. Two at least has moments that I enjoy, although it's generally a bad movie. One, upon rewatch, there was a couple big missteps. But there's a lot of good things in there. I mean, the pod race is a cool scene. Mm -hmm. It's like Star Warsy. It's very Star Warsy. There was, you know, there's a lot of annoying missteps. But the first one at least was in the ballpark. And the, it the was grade. like the first one has the best villain and the best lightsaber oh. battle. Oh my god, you're so right. Maul is amazing. Maul is amazing. And I love what they did with him in Clone Wars and Rebels, but oh. And you know, Liam Neeson's great. There's lots of great the, the first mm -hmm. one look, it's easy to pick out the problems with the first one, and there certainly are. Jar Jar Binks. Jar Jar Binks. Right. You, or so, you, you mean that maybe that it's racist? That, that part sure, of it? Look, that <laughs> lots of problems. Extremely. <laughs> but we you must know what? Swap the it feels like, it feels like there's a great movie there 
and they just fucked it up a bit. You know, it feels like with more creative editing, they could have had a great movie. And instead, you've got a, a good movie. It's 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 got its problems, but there are great things in it. Uh, the first one is definitely the most watchable. Yeah, Chris and I is my least favorite. Chris and I used to argue about the second one all the time because because Chris was like, you know, the all the Obi Wan stuff is great. It's just the love story that's bad. And I was like, that's half the movie. You can't yeah, yeah. say that it's good if half of it's bad. The love story. <laughs> there is real was a bad a long period of time where I was very much a, a Star Wars movie apologist, but I just wouldn't let myself dislike a star wars movie i just couldn't make myself do it and then eventually i i wised up to it i i find two to be the one that's nigh unwatchable there are yeah. parts of three that i find acceptable and amusing amusing enough to watch uh and are, are very fun in a like half making fun of it kind of way like uh the the general grievous obi-wan hello there and uh, there's 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 fun to be had with episode three even though it comes to the expense of so much continuity where you make this whole movie that's supposed to tie everything together and then you forget to do it until the last five minutes of like, shit, <laughs> yeah. uh, both kids are born, Padme's dead. Why? Yeah. She's sad? Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's okay. You live in the desert. You uh, go to Alderaan. Wrap it up. It's great. Good times. It, it's okay. All of us... All of us went through this at one point. All of us were Star Wars apologists at one point. I, I had to watch episode one several times before I realized that it was not that good. Um, uh, two and three, I think I, I wised up to quicker. Um, but th- three, I really hate just because it's just it's just checking boxes. Like there's no, I don't really feel like there's any, like a lot of people love three because it's it's more of the like Vader stuff. But I, I just feel but it's like all bad. Yeah, it's I just feel bad. like they were checking boxes. Like we Tree went straight Monty Python in the last scene, or like one of the last scenes, like right towards the end. And I was like, Really? Really? We're just gonna like he cuts off what's he I don't remember the order. It's been a while since he cuts off his legs and he keeps trying to fight, so then he cuts off his arms. Maybe the other way around. Whatever. And he cuts them all all three off in one fell swoop. He he says, I have the high ground. The moral high ground, I get it. And then he jumps at him, and he takes one swipe, cuts off his remaining non-robotic arm and both legs. And oh, then this little stumpy dude's just crawling down on the ground like, I hate you! Just stop it. Just, I hate it. Ian McDermott literally delivers the line, You will be Darth Vader. <laughs> he just, just, it doesn't mean anything. Here's the first word that comes to my mind. Move on. And he just goes... Turning on a dime to go killing a bunch of kids. Like, straight up, I'm gonna go murder human children. I'm gonna go to the Jedi Temple, and I'm gonna murder a bunch of children to keep Padme alive. She'll fall for that. She'll be totally fine with that. Like, they they just didn't think any of it through, and it makes me so mad and so sad. So, while that one's the more offensive movie, I think 2's the harder one to watch, because the Obi-Wan stuff is still pretty cool, but like, yeah, that's a... That's Obi-Wan less than was, half the movie. Obi-Wan was solid through the whole thing for the most... Oh, oh yeah. He, was, he wasn't the problem. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, with the prequels, like, I think the major thing about it is after growing up with the Holy Trilogy, the story that was in my mind is just better than the story that was told in the prequels. You know, like, like when you watch the Holy Trilogy, it's like... You are led to believe that 
Yoda trained Obi-Wan and that Obi-Wan trained Luke. And now, because Obi-Wan is gone, Luke needs to finish his training with Yoda, who trained his master, right? But then when you see the prequels, you're like, who the fuck is Liam Neeson? Where did he come from? What's this about, right? And then, like, later you find out, oh, well, Yoda trained everybody because he runs the Jedi daycare. And it's like, that's not as cool a story. Like, I'm sorry. I I I maintain that it's uh the story itself is good enough. Uh it's that it was incredibly poorly told and they should have done exactly what they did with the original trilogy. Let George handle the first one, which, you know, somebody should have stopped him and said, "You know, just don't make him talk like that. Everything <laughs> else is fine. Just don't make him talk like that. Maybe avoid the poop joke. Other than that, you're doing fine." Somebody should have said something. But outside of that, have him write the story for two and three because you know what there's there's bones of a good story there but have somebody else handle the directing of it just be like all right i got this and i'm gonna run with it and tell it the way that i think it should be told uh because that 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 probably would have worked out a heck of a lot better and that's why during this latest episode of ahsoka was the first time we've ever had clone troopers in action in live action even though there was an entire quote-unquote live-action Clone Wars movie, uh, the Attack of the Clones, they were all CG. They had never even made a friggin' clone trooper costume. And now we finally got to see them in actual live-action running around and doing things. It's just, uh, just obscene that it's taken us this long. But hey, Star Wars is awesome, and I can obviously talk about it all night long. But Sean has very important things to say about pizza. Oh, go. Oh. So I can rant about pizza. Yeah, so we're eating Domino's. <laughs> Chris says I haven't said this on our podcast. I can't. I can't believe that's true, uh, because it's been a it's been a cornerstone of my life for a long time now. My favorite uh, my favorite uh, fast food, bar none, hands down, is Domino's. I love Domino's pizza, and uh, like I don't know, three years ago, uh, Putin decided he was Hitler and invaded the Ukraine. It was just like we're going to do land wars in Europe again, like it's olden times. And uh, every company, or almost every company on the planet was like, uh, dude, this isn't okay. And they all just voluntarily just closed all their stores. Like, these are corporate, soulless giants, and they all just left. McDonald's, nobody made them leave. They were just like, closing all our stores. We're not doing business in Russia anymore. This is crazy, man. You can't, you can't just do this. Starbucks, nobody told them to leave. They were just like, nope, we're out, man. This isn't okay. And like... I think it's something like 375 international companies left Russia within like the first four or five months of the war. They were just like, dude, what are you doing? This isn't okay. Uh, and there's like 25 companies that stayed and kept doing business there. And I looked at the list and I was like, who are these assholes? And I don't remember who's on the list, but whoever they were, I don't use any of their, their products. So I was like, whatever. Like, I'm going to say one of them was like, Tommy Hilfiger or something like that. And if it wasn't them, I'm sorry for mismatching your name. But like, yeah, I was like, well, that doesn't, I don't buy their clothes, so it doesn't matter to me. Uh, they're assholes, whatever. Uh, again, if if they left, I apologize. Uh, but the one, there was two that I sometimes use. It was Domino's that I use all the time and TGI Fridays. And they did this weird thing where they were like, we're not going to leave, but we're going to give all our profits to the Ukrainian war relief effort. Which seemed weird, but I guess I'm just, I, I don't feel strongly enough either way to care. Like, I only go there occasionally, and they're sort of half-ass, like, addressing the matter, so whatever. Where I do don't you know. find one? They're... 
Yeah, there's not a lot of them left. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> they I, left here. They're, I just they're not around here anymore. Most of the companies I didn't use, but Domino's, my favorite fast food chain, stayed. And I was like, well, I can't buy your pizza anymore. And so for about two and a half years, how long has that war been going on? I don't know, a long time. I haven't eaten Domino's. And then like almost a month ago, which is why I'm surprised I didn't talk about this last time. Maybe it was only three weeks ago. Uh, they they closed all their Russia shops. They were like, nope, this is, it's gone too far. It took them long enough. But now I can eat Domino's again. Cause I, and I emailed the company several times. I was like, dude. I really, I, I'm just sitting here crying because I want your pizza, but I'm not going to eat your pizza until you get out of Russia. Please leave Russia. So uh, they've left Russia, so now I can eat their pizza again, which is what I'm doing. And it's terrible for me, and I know it's trash pizza. You don't have to tell me that. I know that, but it's my favorite fast food. They, they know that too. Remember, they had that <laughs> that marketing campaign where they were like, "We know this is garbage. We're trying to make a change." Like that was a bold move. We're gonna do less garbage this time. And 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 again, the, the the to double down on that, they showed you that the CEO is named Jim Doyle. You don't want Italian food from a guy <laughs> named Jim Doyle. It's a, it's not a good plan. It's. I say that being named Doyle. I'm telling you, you don't want Italian food from a guy named Doyle. Come and try my pizza. <laughs> They're always after me, pepperonis. Uh, do I have anything is else? That it? I don't know. I don't know that I have anything else. Futurama's back. It makes me very happy. I've been watching the old ones, the new ones. Just very happy about Futurama. So between Domino's and Futurama, I'm in a I'm in a real good place right now. Uh, I I actually got nothing. I, uh. It's been a whirlwind month, but not with anything that has to do with movies. So, um, all right. So there's yeah, that. it has been a whirlwind month, and I yeah, I guess it hasn't really had a lot to do with movies on my end either. I got a big job promotion at work, which is awesome, and I'm enjoying the hell out of my work. Uh, but yeah, I haven't been watching too many movies. So uh, yeah, I watched one quote unquote movie. It was called Asteroid City. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy all right let's let's get the business here all right uh so we watched this movie sean greg karen and myself watched it via nefarious means at my house sean fell asleep uh i ate leftover pizza that i made not domino's because i had a very light dinner because i had to take my daughter to uh cheer practice uh and sean concocted some sort of drink that looked like chocolate milk i it, drank chocolate milk instead it was called a bailey's comet we were watching watching Asteroid City, so Bailey's Comet seemed appropriate. It was Bailey's Goldschlager, uh, butter, uh, butter schnapp, butternut, uh, butterscotch schnapps, and then you floated a little sambuca on top. It was pretty good. It, uh, I understand why some people would love it. It was a little sweet for my palate. It was a little on the uh, overly sweet side, but all in all, not a bad drink. It, Sweet drinks. It, it's a good drink. So, uh, let's see. Uh, Paul, how did you watch this movie? Uh, I watched it... I think I watched it the night before you all. I think you all watched it on Monday. And I watched it Sunday night. Because that's when... I, I try to watch it when I think you're going to watch it. And you guys psyched me out. So, I yeah, I watched it Sunday night. Um, I don't know if you needed to get it through nefarious means. It's on Peacock. Um, so I watched oh. it on... I watched it on the Peacock, and I had a Rita's uh, gelati uh, with a peach water ice and vanilla um, vanilla custard. 
Nice. Yeah, Matt, they, we were they, actually waiting for uh, it to show up on Nefarious Means, because I could have sworn I had seen it there, and then when I looked, it wasn't. And then, uh, what's it, uh, uh, Evan said, all right, I'll get it for you. And so he was working on getting it for us, and while he was doing that, I continued to play uh, Vampire Survivors, which if you've never played that game before, it's dirt cheap, it's $5, it's on phones, it's on Switch, uh, it's on Xbox, and it is amazing. Oh, I didn't finish how I watched it because I did fall asleep. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, and then, so last night I went home and I watched it on uh, uh, YouTube. I, I paid. It was non-nefarious so that I could finish watching this quote-unquote You paid movie. to finish watching this movie? I did. Why didn't you just come to my house and watch the rest it, of it? It was like 10 o'clock at night. I wasn't coming to your cares? house at 10 o'clock at night to watch a movie. <laughs> I, I I got through about an hour and ten minutes before I passed out because like I I was fast forwarding to figure out you know what I remembered and I got like an hour and ten hour and fifteen minutes in and I remembered all that uh, but there was still like forty minutes that I slept through or thirty minutes or something like that yeah I almost fell asleep a couple of times during this movie and I liked it <laughs> oh I did not sir <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I have mean... I have complicated thoughts on it all right like this is one of those things that I'm watching and I'm like. Oh, I like this. Nobody else should. <laughs> this is this is not good, but I'm enjoying it because I'm me. I have so many complicated thoughts about it. Do you want to give your rant before we start getting into this? Do you have a rant? I don't or, know. Not I... a rant, but a, a oh, synopsis. Right. Uh, okay, so Asteroid City was released on June 16th, 2023. It was distributed by Focus Features. It was directed by Wes Anderson and co-written by Anderson and Roman Coppola. <clears throat> Coppola's other writing works include Moonrise Kingdom, Isle of Dogs, and The French Dispatch, all of which just so happen to be Wes Anderson movies. Anderson's other films include Rushmore, Moral Tannenbaums, and The Fantastic Mr. Fox. The movie stars Jason Schwartzman, uh, Scarlett Johansson, Tom Hanks, Jeffrey Wright, Tilda Swinton, Brian Cranston, Edward Norton, and a whole mess of others as well. It tells the story of a family whose car breaks down in a place called Asteroid City, and a father's struggle to figure out what the point of anything is. It's also sort of the story of a playwright played by Ed Morton, and it's really weird. Uh, sure, I guess that checks yeah. out. Yeah, that's it. I, I mean, look, I'll I'll go first. I, I'm the one that picked this movie. Um, so uh, I, I really wanted to be, you know, I really wanted to be Wes Anderson's biggest champion here. Like, I wanted to come in and be the one that was like, this was great for these reasons. And Sean, this is why you should have loved it. Um, but I, I did not love this movie. Uh, I, f I feel really badly about it. Um, I, uh, I, I really shut down right from the beginning. Like there was, there was probably some silver lining type things in this movie. There was probably some, some gems to be mined from it, but, um, I, I really, I really shut down because this was everything I dislike in a movie. Um, I, I guess I, I guess if I can continue my rant, um, I, I'll say this: I I love movies, right? I love movies. I love watching movies. I love going to the movies. Um, I love talking about movies, right? You guys said let's do a movie podcast. I said where do I sign, right? I I <laughs> love movies. Um, I do not work in the movie industry, so because it's it's not work for me because it's a hobby and a fascination 
I like hearing the behind the scenes thing. I like knowing how they did it. I like like knowing trivia from the set, right? So when someone makes a movie about movies, I'm usually all into that. Like uh movies like um Ed Wood, uh Bowfinger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ed Wood is great. Bowfinger, um Living in Oblivion. Um, uh, Tropic it, like, Thunder was funny. Tropic, Tropic Thunder, Thunder that's, yeah. That's a good one. Oh, State State in Maine. That's another one. Oh we've, yes, we've lo- you know like movies about movies. I really like like it's it's all the things I like rolled into a movie. But where I do work is in theater, <laughs> and when I go see theater about theater. It makes me so fucking pissed off. I hate it. Like, if you guys were like, hey, we're doing a play. Will you come see it? And I was like, sure. And then I sat down and the play started. And then like two minutes into the play, somebody goes, I'm the narrator. I would stand up and I'd go, boo, get the fuck off the stage. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like theater about theater. I don't like when they're like, this is the playwright. This is the director. Like, Give me a play about spies. Give me a play about Mexican wrestlers. Give me a play about a guy painting a picture of another guy with a big knife. Like, I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Just don't give me theater about theater. And because this was this outer play about this inner play, Asteroid City, as soon as they introduced that concept, I got angry and I shut down. So I've thought about this movie a lot in the last couple of days. And uh, my relationship with Wes Anderson. We're in a relationship. He doesn't know it, but we are. Uh, It's not a healthy relationship. Uh, I I feel a little bad. I don't mean... Look, if somebody's enjoying it... Chris enjoyed this, right? I don't mean to take away from that. That's not my goal in life, right? So if you like Wes Anderson movies, you just go right ahead and keep on liking them, right? And if, Paul, if you would like this, you know, great... You you didn't so I so maybe we could talk a little more about that but the uh, I think I have so many problems with it I, and I tried I try to narrow it down I don't think that Wes Anderson movies it's it's like it's like approaching a hipster situation right uh, and I don't mean to rail against hipsters right because I don't need to be a cranky old man. Uh, and if they're happy living their life, let them go ahead and do it. And I'm going to show up to their bars and eat their appetizers because they've always got the best food and they've always got the new interesting beer and they've usually got great music. I don't want to sit and talk to them for an hour and a half because it's too much. And I feel like Wes Anderson is like the hipster of movie making. He takes uh, what I can only define, and, and this makes it more frustrating, as amazing filmmaking talent and puts it on display in such a way where he's like, I'm so good at getting great performances out of actors. I don't have to bother to actually make a movie. I'm just going to have a couple scenes. I'm going to get amazing actors to show up. I'm going to get great performances out of them. I'm going to uh, direct them in such a way that they're delivering their dialogue in a, in a, in a, fast-paced, interesting way. Um, but I'm not going to bother to actually take the time to make uh, a traditional movie. 
And and part of it is like he's like I'm this is what it feels like. I don't know what he's doing. But it feels like he's he's thumbing his nose at the industry. He's like I don't have to follow the conventions. I will do my own thing. Which is fine, except I don't want to watch you do it. Like you're you're not doing the uh, the whole um, what's that circle they told us about like the hero's journey or whatever, right? You've got a character, they've got adversity, they overcome the adversity, this, that, the other thing. He's like, I'm gonna break the mold. Well, that's fine, but that's all you're doing. You're not trying to make a good movie that breaks the mold. You're just sitting there thumbing your nose at the mold and being like, look, I don't have to do it. And he doesn't. He doesn't follow the format or the uh the traditional story arcs and i guess that moves the art of movie making forward in some way but it doesn't make for an enjoyable experience right and you could say well i'm closed-minded and i'm 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 too inside my bubble where i need that standard that standard storytelling experience where there's a beginning a middle and an end and 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 they tell me a damn story. And while I was watching it, the other thing I thought, because he wasn't telling me a story, I was like, this is the exact same, all the things I hate about this movie are the exact same things Chris hated about 2001 A Space Odyssey. Except instead of doing extraordinarily long scenes with no dialogue that don't move the plot forward, he's doing long scenes with tons of dialogue that don't move the plot forward. The plot in this movie was 10 minutes long, if that. And he, he filled the movie with dialogue. But I feel like the things that frustrated Chris about 2001, like, you're left to build the story yourself. And that's interpretive art. And I don't really like interpretive art. Although I did like 2001. I feel like that's what this is. Like, what story were you telling? Like, I have to sit here and analyze it and put it together myself? That's not telling me a story. That's that's giving me one of those choose-your-own-adventure books, which is, I guess I like those to some extent, but it's a different experience. Um, so, yeah. I, I And I, I went into this. I wanted to like it. I wanted to be turned around. I wanted to come out of this and say, look, Wes Anderson did some stuff I didn't like. He did this some stuff was the I wrong did movie like. For that. This was the most Wes Anderson thing there ever was. It was dripping with Wes Anderson. <laughs> See, I agree with you on pretty much every front here. Uh, I, this is kind of how I felt about this movie and how I felt about French Dispatch uh, as well. I didn't, I don't remember that movie at all. I know I've seen it, but I don't. I couldn't tell you a goddamn thing about French Dispatch. Um, I was a huge, huge Wes Anderson fan. Like with his earlier stuff like uh i think rushmore is fantastic because that does tell a story that has a clear beginning middle and end there's a story of this kid and his growth by the end of the movie and uh same thing with royal tannenbaums i i love fantastic mr fox uh life aquatic was one that i kind of wasn't crazy about at first and then every time i watched after that i liked it more and more uh it just kind of clicked with me more every single time i watched it um so generally speaking, I really liked Wes Anderson's movies, but there were a couple of things about my favorite movies of his that this movie was completely lacking. Now, when I say I liked this movie, I was, I was tickled by it. I was entertained by it. I don't remember a whole lot of it already because it was very forgettable. Um, it had really great set pieces. I loved the way the, 
the car engine was weirdly animated. I loved the the alien that just kind of shows up, takes the takes the rock, poses for a picture, and then leaves. I thought that was hilarious. Th- those kinds of just weird out there moments that don't really serve any other purpose to just be like, boy, life can be weird sometimes, huh? Like I like that in those kinds of in in his movies. But my favorite parts of Wes Anderson movies are the the way he plays with music. And there's no music in this movie. There's there's been almost no. There are musical moments in those older Wes Anderson movies that stick with me, just just forever. Uh, like in Rushmore, when the um, uh, what the hell's the name of that song? Um, a quick one while I'm, while I'm away. A quick one while you're away by the Who. Uh, the whole like big battle between uh, uh Jason Schwartzman and Bill Murray in that movie that entire sequence is is outstanding. Uh Fantastic Mr. Fox when they dance to the Bobby Fuller Four song uh Let Her Dance at the end of the movie. Like they do these he has this way with using these classical tunes to just match what's going on in a movie so incredibly well. Or, or and at a certain point How about um Tannenbaum's when uh it starts with Hey Jude and and the hawk takes off, uh, uh-huh. the falcon takes off right at the na-na-na-na. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He's so good at that. And those movies are full of music, like to the extent of Guardians of the Galaxy being full of music. It was it was such an, an integral part of the personality of why I liked his movies, because it it just was this, it helped convey what the script wasn't just the the music was bringing so much of it not even just the licensed music it was um uh mark mothersbaugh's scores were also just so integral to what made those movies work they're they're i'm a huge fan of music Uh, i'm a huge fan of background music and i i just thought everything that they had done up to that point wes anderson done for a long time was really good and then at a certain point I'm watching his movies and there's just no songs and, or there's just one at the beginning and then a whole lot of silence. And I just don't think his movie making style works nearly as well without the music to help it along because you, this is the ultimate expression of that. Like everything leading up to this, there's always still been like a, you know, a little piece or two in here. Like Darjeeling limited was great. But that was also not just Wes Anderson. Like, I, I think Jason Schwartzman had a big part of that one, too, uh, as far as making it a little bit more cohesive. But this was just this was like uh, Thor Love and Thunder with Taika Waititi. It's like somebody else needed to be there to be like, OK, stop. <laughs> You've <laughs> this is your style and I get it. But somebody else needs to be there to rein him in. Otherwise, we wind up with this, which, again, there were moments peppered throughout this movie that tickled me. I thought Tom Hanks was very amusing to watch. The, the bit at the end is like, I don't really think I believe in God anymore. Or, and he just said, that's fair. <laughs> that, that little exchange just busted me up laughing. Um, that I happened a handful of times. I didn't like Tom Hanks at all. I, 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 I was almost <laughs> like, why do you even need that character? Like, I, I thought... I, there was so you much. Just need in him the, to deliver those lines. That's it. He was so completely fucking superfluous. Yeah, there was so much in the marketing about Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks being, you know, the the sort of new addition to the cast in this West because he Wes Anderson. Let's face it, he he sort of 
keeps building a, a, a stable of actors, you know, like he, the people who have been in his movies keep coming back. And I mean, you could even see by this people, people showed up to do one line, you know, um, uh, what's his face? Uh, I, I keep calling him Tony Ravioli, but that's not his name. It's like <laughs> Tony, Tony Ravlori or something. How do you say his last name? I know I you talk no about, I don't know how to say he, his name. He's, he's Flash Thompson in the, 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 Spider-Man, the um, you know the uh, uh, Tom Holland. Oh Spider-Man yeah, movies. he was in that Willow show too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. He's got a he's got a great career now. Yeah, he's in that Willow yeah. show and everything like that. But he, <laughs> I mean, he got his start in um, Grand Budapest Hotel um, and Wes Anderson. You know, he's he's such a sort of lovable, innocent character in that movie, and that was like his his breakout I didn't realize role. That was him. That's yeah. hilarious. I didn't even piece that together, and I liked that movie too. And and with with this, he. He was a sight gag. Like he 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 yeah. moved the microphone up. You know, like could have given that role to anybody. And people, you know, people showed up for for uh, Wes Anderson. You know, to just just to, Steve to... Steve Carell's role was nigh pointless. He had one or two moments where he was almost funny, and then who uh, he was interacting with Liv Shriver. Is that that guy's name? Leave. I think it's Leave Shriver. Yeah. Uh, that guy, you could have taken him out of the movie, and nothing would have changed. Like, him and his son played no purpose or point, but, like, they spent... And again, the same conversation we had about 2001, like, that should have just been edited away. Like, there was just no reason for it. They, Somebody needed, needed someone to, rope to rein him, him in. in. See, yeah. that that's so funny because Steve Carell was one of the few things I liked about this movie. Um, I, I guess... Um, I guess I'll... I feel like in order to say what I'm going to say, I need to like start the rant earlier, which is to say that um, uh, the acting, like the acting in this, really, really bothered me. So, so after after I watched this, I was I was like, what happened? And I I went back and I revisited uh, Rushmore and Royal Tannenbaums. I watched those on Monday. I watched Life Aquatic on Tuesday. Um, you know, and like this style, like he, like Wes Anderson stuff has always been stylized, you know, like, like the, the stuff that he does as far as, um, as, as far as framing each shot, you know, like, like, uh, it's funny, like Rushmore all the sort of like hallmarks of this are in that movie, but I think because Rushmore was so early in his career and it was probably a more low budget indie type thing, it's such a like scrappier movie, and I feel like it has a lot more charm because of it. But like you could still see how he he was really trying to put a lot of thought into every shot. Um, and once you get to something like Tannenbaums, with I think you know s- somewhere about well, around eleven or. 15 sets or something that were all like built for that movie, you know, like you can see that every shot is, is like, it's almost like its own little art piece. Like as far as the, the production design within the shot and the, the framing and the symmetry of the shot um, and things like that, like it's, it's, it's got a lot of beauty and art to it. And then I think because it is such a distinct style it's a thing that people recognize and can either make fun of, like can parody, um, 
you know, uh, Saturday Night Live has a, a, a Wes Anderson parody that's really funny. Have you, have you guys ever seen that? It's like the the sinister. What is it? The 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 midnight coterie of sinister intruders. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> no, no, can't say. Uh, I have. It's it's really funny. Like they say from the twisted mind of Wes and you think they're going to say Wes Craven and they say Wes Anderson and then they're like <laughs> comes this movie and it's all you know it's all like the the horror movie trailer is all you know shot and filmed like a Wes Anderson movie it's really funny um but you know they make fun of it in that um there's a there's a show there's a show that I watch called um The After Party uh where they, it's like a murder mystery thing, um, and once the once the murder and the sort of circumstances of the murder are set up, they, uh, you know, they they tell you the night from each of the the um, um, perspectives. Uh, yeah, the suspects, uh, e- right? From each of the suspects, and each suspect, yeah, has a different perspective. So because it's a point of view thing, each one is like in a different style. You know, like one will be like a heist movie and one will be like a you know a period drama and in this in this last season of um the after party they like they literally did the style of Wes Anderson like Wes Anderson is a style you know like there's there was a character who um who uh uh like she was she was the adopted sister who lived in a yurt and collected typewriters, you know, and then because Cause she's of, a hipster, right? Because it's like a quirky weirdo, you know, like they're like, okay, you know, this style is going to be Wes Anderson. So I think that I think that like actors and and everybody have now gotten good at recognizing this style and 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 doing the style, and therefore. I felt like a lot of what was in Asteroid City felt wooden and stiff and joyless and robotic. Um, Tom Hanks, I didn't think was great. Uh, uh, what's her face? Um, uh, Scarlett, Scarlett Johansson was awful. I thought she was awful. Um, I felt like she got better as it went through, but like the first words out of her mouth, I was just like, Ugh. <laughs> and then like. I don't know if my tolerance just got better, but yeah, I didn't think she was, I didn't, she was definitely awful at first, but I thought by the end of it, she was at the very least inoffensive. I, I, that's I mean, as far as I'll go. I mean, like, I, I, I feel like she, I, I felt like her acting was great because I felt like she was trying to act like she was in a Wes Anderson movie. And I was like, she's nailing it. This is Wes Anderson. This is, it, it, it almost felt like a parody of itself. I was like, it really felt like it was, uh, doubling down on all the things that I said that I didn't like about Wes Anderson. It just felt like he was jamming Wes Anderson at me. And and part of me is wondering if that was the point of it. Uh, I guess, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself, but like, um, yeah, I thought, I thought a lot of the people were bad. Like, um, that trio of the, the parents, you know, like there was the, the kids, you know, the sort of like science, science fair science award kids and then there was the parents that i think that were were supposed to feel really different from the kids you know there was like leah schreiber and hope davis and um that asian guy whose name i don't know um uh i don't know what that actor's name was but like those those three were just robotic like there was no 
character to them. And I feel like that was a, a really good opportunity to show how different these parents were from these kids. You know, like like they could have been really distinct and funny and weird. Um, uh, yeah, you said you didn't like um, um, Corell. I thought he was like one of the best characters. Like that was one of the things that I thought was at least funny and had character to it. This this uh, motel owner that was like selling martinis out of the vending machine and you know land you know land deeds from from vending machines. Like he was, he, I thought he was funny. Um, M- Matt Dillon, I thought as the mechanic was kind of funny. Uh, Jeffrey Wright, I thought was bad. Like. That character could have been really, like, there, he was the general. Like, there could have been a lot of humor, oh, yeah. I think, with making him more of a, like, a military kind of, you know, like, like j- again, just very different from the science people. And, yeah, I, 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 I thought I'm it was... I'm not going to say that, I'm not going to say I didn't laugh at parts. Look, it, again, I, I feel like he got a lot of great actors, and there are interesting set pieces. And uh, at times... Uh, lines are delivered very well because you've got amazing actors. Um, so, like the part with Steve Carell and Liv Shriver, I know I said you could take them out, and you could. The the one part where those pointless characters that did nothing for the plot uh, were talking to the guy's kid, and they were like, "What's with the daring?" And he was like, "I don't know." And it almost felt like you were going to have a moment where there would be some meaning or some purpose or a point, and the kid's like, "I don't know. Maybe it's my way to be seen or something." And then. You know, uh, Liv Shriver, like, he, I guess he balks at it or he feels bad or whatever. And he says, well, what, what, what did you want me to dare you to do? And he was like, I'm going to climb that cactus. And Steve Carell and Liv Shriver at the same time are like, one of them says, don't do that. And the other one's like, God, no. That was funny. And I laughed. Their delivery was great because you got great actors and it was kind of a joke. But it, there was five minutes of, like, a scene that was pointless about characters that had nothing to do with the plot to get to one moment that made me laugh that almost made me felt like there was going to be some sort of side plot about these side characters. And finally there was going to be some sort of meaning to their purpose on this film. And then that it just cut away and it never came back to it. And I don't even think you saw those characters again for the rest of the movie, right? Like that might've been at least for Liv Shriver and his kid, that might've been the end of them. Uh, so look, God is, there is good stuff. We haven't even talked about Brian Cranston and Edward Norton oh, yet. Oh, God. That scene where he shows up and he's not supposed to be there should have been funny. But instead of it being funny, I was just like, I hate this. I just fucking hate this. Like, it, it could have been a great joke. And instead, it was just annoying. You know what? You guys are going to have to talk about Brian Cranston and Ed Norton uh, and Adrian Brody because I... I I shut them out of the movie. Like literally everything that was that outer story, right? I guess I'm going to I guess I'm going to call it the inner story and the outer story cuz like I feel like my brain wants to call it the play within a play, but that's not what it was. They introduced the concept of the play and then they they introduced I get I guess while it felt like there was two things, there was actually three things, right? Because Brian Cranston was the host of a TV documentary that was about the writing of the play. Mockumentary. He tells you right in the beginning, it's not a real play. He's like, tonight we're going to tell you the fake story 
Like, it's not a real play. He's The whole thing is a mockumentary. So Brian Cranston is telling you a mockumentary, and we keep slipping into it, which really just took away any meaning the inner story could have, because as soon as you started caring about a character or were trying to figure out, again, I get it. He's trying to be different. Maybe this is what he wanted. You know, he wanted you to not be connected to the characters for some reason, which I don't understand the reason behind that. No, (laughs) fail. All of that. Exactly what you're saying. I agree. I'm saying he failed. That whole thing. Here's all I have to say. It makes me so mad to even think about it. All of that made everything worse. If you had cut out everything about this being The black and white stuff. All the black and white stuff. Cut out all of that. Just make the movie that you were doing, the, the Asteroid City stuff, make that in earnest. This movie's already ten times better. I agree. I, I agree that that would have been ten times better. Because anytime you started to care about any of the characters in the play, like, uh, you know, uh, Schwartzman's... Schwartzman? Whatever that guy's name is. Right. His yeah. character, like, he lost his wife. He's the central character. You know, he's finding solace in the arms of another woman or whatever. Like, there's some sort of, there's some sort of uh, you know, human nature there that you can kind of like, oh, I kind of get the emotion I'm supposed to be feeling here. As soon as you start to feel it, they interrupt with this black and white stuff, and you're like, oh, this is just a play. None of this is real. These aren't real characters. Don't have any attachment to them. Have attachment to these actors. It's these actors trying to portray these parts. But then Brian Cranston comes in, and he's like, don't care about the actors either. And, and again, I feel like if Wes Anderson was listening to it, he'd be like, that's the point. I was trying to make sure you were disconnected from these characters. And then my response to that is, well, I could just not watch the movie, and I'll be plenty disconnected from your characters. Like, you watch a movie to be connected to the characters. If you want me disconnected, mm-hmm. I just won't turn it on, right? Well, I'm, right. I'm disconnected. Unfortunately, I think the outer play, the or the outer story, the, 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 the I think the Brian Cranston, Edward Norton, Adrian Brody stuff, unfortunately was the the point of the movie and i think that's why i i think that, that's why i'm the wrong person to talk about it because that stuff made me so angry that i shut down and i i i like i don't have a lot that i can contribute about it but i guess when you're talking about what the movie had to say you know because because a lot of it was boring and and pointless and lacked focus so at a certain point i go I go like, what is this? What is this driving at? Because the stuff inside a- Asteroid City was, I think, the the more enjoyable stuff to watch. Right? That was the that was the meat of the story. That felt like sort of where all the like beautiful art pieces were. Not that you know, not that they didn't put thought and care into the other stuff, but like the Asteroid City stuff was cool and stylized and interesting to look at. Um, and, you know, that was the opportunity for these weird characters and how they interact and, and things like that, right? So then I go, like, at a certain point, I go, what's the point of the, the, the outer play, the play stuff, right? And I said to myself, it's going to be that there's something that's going to be so weird and stylized that it will need to feel like a play, right? There's something that's going to be so suspend your disbelief 
like like when the alien shows up that it's going to fe- need to feel like a play and then when the alien showed up i was like oh, that's not really true either like i kind of i kind of buy this within the weird world that created so then i go what like why even make this other thing why pull us out of this story and have this other thing and then you know it sort of gets to the the point the 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 i guess i'll call it climax of the story the the point the resolution whatever when uh schwartzman who at one point in the story burns his hand on a sandwich maker and then he's like why did i do that and then he literally walks out of the story out of the play and walks backstage to talk to the director which again infuriated me because i hate stuff like this but he goes to talk to the director and go like why why did i do this am i doing this right am i am i doing it right am i playing the part right and like that's what adrian brody says to him is like doesn't it doesn't matter keep telling the story right like keep telling the story you're doing it right you know what whatever it is doesn't matter and like i feel like that was the I feel like that was what they were trying to say with the thing, but I would have liked it so much better if the inner story, the asteroid story, city story was good enough that I could get meaning out of that and not need this other bullshit of somebody walking off stage and asking someone else what the point of the story was. Like, it infuriated me, but then I guess you couldn't have had that point of the story without that outer story, but then also what an awful way to tell a story. <laughs> it, it's the most pretentious way to, right? I mean, Adrian Brody's character was just painfully pretentious to listen to. I just couldn't like, it was, and, and I don't mind him as an actor. Uh, he's in things that I like that. It was just, I hated that character. I hated Schwartzman's character when he was the actor. Um, not not so much as the dad, like in Asteroid City, but as the actor. Um, and it was like, I think you're right. I think that was the point. It seemed heavy-handed at the time, and it seemed like they were trying to tell us that was the point. But at the same time, the, the people doing it were so pretentious, and it was so heavy-handed in the way they were doing it that I just shut it all down. And I was like, I don't even want to get the point anymore. I just want this movie to end. The, uh, a little off point of that, but you'd said something a moment ago, or a moment ago, it was probably three minutes ago, five minutes ago, uh, about every shot looking like a painting and the care that's put into the movie. And again, it's frustrating because I feel like Wes Anderson could make a great movie because it seems like he's got all the the functionality of a director down to a masterful degree. And all of his shots do seem to have so much care and are so much like a painting and are done with so much intention that it seems masterful in, 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 the, in the mechanics of it. But every now and then it misses the mark. And when it does, like, there was a shot that just screamed at me where the girl that uh, Schwartzman's son is into is looking through the telescope. And then she turns and looks at him, and she might say something. Um, And then the camera swings around to Schwartzman's son. Those two shots, the shot of the girl, it 
it missed the mark just slightly. And because it missed the mark, it just it reiterated to my brain. It was like every one of these shots, every shot in this movie is an intentional piece of art where they're trying to tell me a meaning. But then that one shot where they like, it just, it didn't quite land right. And I was like, it makes it feel so heavy handed and pretentious that everything else loses its, its, its meaning. You're like, wait a second. That's all he's doing. He's not telling me a story. He's not making a movie. He's just giving me these pieces of a movie uh, that are well done, but he's not, he's not doing the, the, he's not telling me a story. He's not, he's not making a complete movie. He's just, I don't know, function. He's a very high functioning director with no plan. If if that makes any sense. I, I mean, sort of, uh, like I, uh, I guess I'd, I want to be careful not to bash him too much because in general, I, I do like his work a lot. Um, I, I, I think what I took from this movie, like this movie definitely knocked me down a peg as far as, as far as Wes Anderson goes. Right. Because, um, like I said, I, after this, I, I did kind of go like, what happened? And I went back and, and watched some other stuff. And, you know, I didn't watch, I didn't rewatch Grand Budapest Hotel or Fantastic Mr. Fox because I just watched them pretty recently. Like Grand Budapest Hotel showed up on, um, Hulu, and I, I, I watched it like within the last month. And I think Fantastic Mr. Fox, we watched over the summer because Nate was like, I want to watch this movie. Um, but some of the stuff like Rushmore and Tannenbaums, I hadn't I hadn't revisited in a long time. And like watching those on Monday, I was like, oh, my God, this is like this is where it's at. Right. Like like Rushmore is so funny and so good. And, you know, the. Like, I thought some of it was going to be cringy, too, in that, like, you know, it's it's kind of a inappropriate relationship. Right. But like I I found that the I think the cringy part was how relentless the two of them were about her. Um, but I think that having this grown man and this young boy both competing for the affection of this woman that isn't interested in either of them is like kind of dark comedy and like a really funny concept. Um, so like Rushmore was wonderful. And then I finished Rushmore and I watched Tannenbaums and I was like, this is great. Like, this is like, this is him at his peak. Like now we get this whole thing where you got the big cast of characters and you're bringing in a lot of great actors and it's an ensemble thing, but it's driving towards something like the themes in Tannenbaums are so clear, you know, it's like, it's about, family and it's about forgiveness and i feel like it all really culminates at the end when um you know after gene hackman's character passes away and it, you know they talk about like that uh ben stiller's character was by his side in his final moments and you know just what like sort of the epilogue of what happens with the family is just it's really touching and it like hits you right in the feels and then i watched life aquatic and i was like this is not as good, you know, like, like still better than asteroid city. Like I feel like life aquatic knows what kind of movie it's trying to be. Like it's trying to be a comedy. Um, and, and there's a lot of it that's beautiful, but there's also a lot of it that really lacks focus. 
And I kind of look at it all and I was like, what, like, what, what is different? And then I was like, you know what? In those first three movies in Bottle Rocket and Rushmore and Royal Tannenbaums, his co-writer was Owen Wilson. Like Mm. Owen Wilson co-wrote those movies and he has not co-wrote any of the other stuff since, you know, and I, I think that those movies are really funny. And then I think you got some gems in the middle there, right? Like, um, Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs. I think some of that stuff is watchable because some of those people are so in tune with working with each other that the dialogue is so snappy and it's like funny, you know? And then um, some of the stuff like after, you know, Grand Budapest Hotel and on where it's more like period pieces that pull in all these people, you know, like, yeah, it's it's hit or miss, you know, like Grand Budapest Hotel is great. But French Dispatch was kind of rough, like the the three disconnected stories like it was that was not a great thing. Um, And, you know, I think I think because of that, I went from from being like, this is a guy who knows what he's doing. That's always on top. That's had a couple misses to going like. Mm, this guy's this guy's good when somebody focuses him like this guy's good when he's got a co-writer that makes a good story and i think when he's you know when he when he is the one who gives you the 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 you know pot of gold at the end of the rainbow it's like it's it's hit or miss i don't think it's always great i didn't like isle of dogs I remember thinking I was going to love it because I love Fantastic Mr. Fox. And Karen and I watched it ahead of time just to kind of make sure that the kids were going to dig it. And I just left that one shaking my head like, what the hell happened here? I did not, I didn't get that movie at all. Um, but Life Aquatic, when you were talking about those like moments that really like struck you, I think that the thing that Life Aquatic did so very well was similar to what happened in Royal Tannenbaums where they did that epilogue thing just kind of after he saw the tiger shark at the end and that Seager Ross song starts playing and I wonder if he remembers me and it's just this like really I, I that moment just 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 really gets me every time I see it where they all just they're all in there some of them didn't believe it even existed and then all of a sudden they see it and it's there and it's beautiful and he went there to kill it and then he decides not to because, you know, it wasn't malicious. It was just he 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 kind of remembered why he ever did did any of the things that he did did to, did to begin with. But you could definitely tell that that was the that was that movie was kind of the turning point in Wes Anderson's career. Like like you said, that he was it wasn't co-written by um, Owen Wilson, and yeah, it really shows there. But that movie still had a lot of residual uh, that residual energy. You know, you could still kind of feel that that the type of movie that the previous ones were in that and i think everything since then you know you're you're 100 percent right about his trajectory uh that they just kind of took a turn and i i still i definitely stand behind what i said before about the music being such a such a big part of it and again like if life aquatic didn't have that moment at the end then i think i i think i would think less of the movie but i think the reason i like it I liked it better every time I had seen it since originally was because I knew that scene was coming and that gave 
gave a little bit more weight to all the decisions that all the characters made throughout the course of the movie, like knowing that that catharsis was coming and that there was going to be some sort of peace and, uh, I don't know if I'm wording everything I'm trying to say right. All of that stuff that I just watched somewhat recently, you know, Rushmore and Tannenbaums and Life Aquatic, like... Again, it's all it's all stylized. the the style The style that you associate with Wes Anderson is is baked in there. It's all in there. But like some of that really specific acting style, this like fast paced, you know, uh, kind of you know one note thing um, that, that's that's quippy and and supposed to be funny, but like definitely stylized. It's it's not as overt as it is in Asteroid City. Like in in yeah. those movies, people still talk like normal people. Like they still they still have normal interactions, right? Yeah, it's and, just a little left of center. And and I think I I think that's that was the other thing for me that really just killed Asteroid City, right? Because like when you watch like let's let me do Tannenbaums for example right like his his fingerprints are on it especially when you see how some of these actors have been instructed in movies since then right like you can look at that and you go yeah Gwyneth Paltrow he he probably said in every scene do it just like this right like she is so um she is so stylized in that movie you know and like Angelica Houston, a little bit the same thing, but Angelica Houston has that like that kind of knowing smile, right? That little like smile behind her eyes that we we um you know that we came to notice in in Adam's family when she was just like lit, you know, just from the her eyes and like she has that like really quirky knowing smile and that really added to the character. And then you got Ben Stiller in that movie who's a masterful comedian and who, when he's not like the clown in a movie, he's usually the guy where the humor is like, dude, seriously, seriously, did you do that? Seriously? You know? So like you got Ben Stiller, Ben Stiller in it up. And then you got like Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson who kind of have this like very, uh, you know, like sort of strange vocal style, like way of talking. Right. And like, with all of those characters, it really the the style really made them defined characters. It made them interesting and weird and quirky and have like depth, you know. And then like also the the like production style kind of added to it because like that movie looks like it's in the seventies, you know, with like the tracksuits and the fur coats and everything like that. But like it's set. You know, it's set in the year it's made. It's set in 2001. So, like, you kind of feel like this family has been, like, frozen in place for, you know, 20, 30 years. Um, so, like, that that kind of where that kind of stuff really boosted that movie, I, I think it killed Asteroid City, you know, because every, everybody knows how to do this style. They're just doing this wooden thing. And then you've got people that are adding no depth to the character they're just doing doing the Wes Anderson um and I, like I think it killed it you know like at one point Scarlett Johansson was in the tub and she was surrounded by pills and I was like oh is she dead 
you know, and then she starts talking, and I was like, ah, oh, man, I wish she was dead, because that would have been more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but, but at that point, even if she was dead, they they probably would have blown the reaction to it. And, like, yeah, I, I had so little faith in this movie at that point that even, if, you're right, it would have been more interesting, but I, I feel like they just would have blown that anyway. Like, that bridge to nowhere, like, how was there never a gag with that bridge to nowhere? Yeah. Come on. That was wonderful. When this movie started and that showed up, I was like, all right, <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to seeing how this thing pays off. And then it just didn't. The, and, uh, the, the three or four times in the movie that I, that I almost sort of cracked a smile, that I almost sort of went with it. Um, I, I said that I liked Steve Carell, you know, and, and his weird innkeeper character. Um, uh, I laughed. I, I laughed a little bit. Uh, I laughed at the alien when the alien came down and took the rock. Um, the, the the I think it was like the end of what was it? Maybe it was the end of Act Three. Was it three acts? It was Act One. At the end of Act One, the alien comes. At the end of Act Two, what? What the hell? I don't even know. But whatever. It's when, when the alien came again? Well, when the alien came again, and like when he lifts the quarantine, and then the Wait, alien... Like, was it three acts, and each act had the alien come in at the end, just like 2001 had three acts with the, the, the stone at the end? <laughs> I think this is 2001. This is Wes Anderson's take on 2001. We did it. It is really funny that you've... That you've drawn parallels between these two movies that we've started the alphabet with, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, like, and you know, like, I, I wasn't, I didn't mind some of the conceptual stuff about being a play. Like, if it hadn't had the outer story and if it just had the title cards that said Act One, Act Two, like, I, I would have been like, cool, you know, like that's in line with other stuff that he's done. You know, with with Tannenbaum's, they start it like it's a chapter of a book. You know, like. I wouldn't have minded that so much, but, um, yeah, anyway, well, yeah, so the, um, the, the, yeah, when the alien showed up the first time, and then when the alien showed up the second time, and then he's, like, he reinstates the quarantine, and everybody pulls out their, like, science fair weapons and goes bananas, <laughs> like, that kind of made me chuckle a little bit, and then I kind of laughed when the, there was the kids that were being taught by that school teacher that Maya Hawk played, which was it was it was just such a weird addition, and she kind of she kind of like fell in love with that cowboy, uh, sort of like that was sort of a weird. Yeah, you know, was, I, I won't even say tangent. it's a B plot. I'll say it's like a F plot. It but, was a um, tangent. Yeah, but uh, I liked when the kid was like, I wrote a song about the alien, and then all the all the cowboys came in and started playing music. You know, like like if it just had more things like that, I feel like it would have been. A little more tolerable it would have been a little more you know interesting but there was just so much because it was a tangent and tangents are great and fun and enjoyable diversions from your main plot this movie just had tangents there yeah. like the main plot was lost in in the the triple level you guys keep saying the play within a play and acting like it's a double level but it's not like brian cranston was interacting with ed norton or or adrian brody like 
they were on a different plane of existence. Right. It if, was three levels. Yeah, it feels like it's two things to me, like an inner story and an outer story. But it, what, you're right, it was. It was three things. It was the, the Brian Cranston thing. I, I guess Brian Cranston's the outermost thing. And then the next level would be the Ed Norton, Adrian Brody stuff. And then would be the Asteroid City stuff. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I... I, I I had a good time watching it, but I will never say that it's a good movie, and I'm probably never going to watch it again. Like, and that's that kind of makes me sad because I will definitely watch Rushmore, Royal Tannenbaum's. I'll watch all the Wes Anderson stuff up to uh, Life Aquatic uh, plus Fantastic Mr. Fox again. But I'm definitely feeling pretty disillusioned with his uh, style after this movie. It is it is fun that I fell asleep and then they had this whole big scene about I didn't know this until the next day. Greg was like, "You fell asleep and then as soon as we noticed you were asleep, the whole cast of the movie got on screen and just one by one said, "You can't fall asleep if you don't wake up." Like, right. <laughs> they just kept chanting it. And apparently Greg was just staring at me like, "Does he know what's happening? What's going on?" That's yeah, amazing. I had some good timing there. It was a very amusing evening. Like, I fell asleep during 2001 and <laughs> fell asleep during this one. Uh, yeah. This was a deeply flawed movie that I'm glad to have seen, but I... I'm I'm done. <laughs> I'm, I'm done with this movie, and I, I'm, I don't know, I'm done talking about it. You guys don't have anything else important to say, do you? Uh, no. I feel like I was going to say one other thing. Uh, what was it? Um... Uh, I don't know. I want Wes Anderson to make like a real movie because I think he'd be good at it. Oh yeah, sorry. I know what I was gonna say. Like it, it was, it was just more about the. It was more about the, just me being so angry with the the the, um, the the point of the movie, the plot of the movie, the thing he was trying to say. I guess I can't call it a plot. I, I guess the message of the movie, the whole, you know. Jason Schwartzman walks off screen and says, like, why? Why am I doing this? Am I playing the the part right? Like, I just feel like there was so much potential in the Asteroid City story. Like, you had so much. You had so many interesting conceptual things. You know, you had the the sort of military versus science thing. You had the sort of smart kids juxtaposed with the the parents that don't get it you had the you know the 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 i guess like the death of the the old west the the cowboy you had the the you know paranoia of the 50s and and you know uh, aliens and ufo's you had testing of the atom bomb there was like there was so much in there i just wish the message of the the thing could have been conveyed by the potential of Asteroid City and not by an actor walking off and just saying, why am I doing this? It made me so mad. Like, it, it felt like such a cop-out. It felt like a cop-out. Like, that's how you're going to deliver your message? It made me mad. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> well, two thumbs down. <laughs> and I enjoyed it, but yeah, two thumbs down. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't, can't do it. 
<laughs> well, we don't have to vote this time because we already know what we're doing for B. God dang right we do. Oh, I was gonna, I was gonna ask. Like, are we, are we formally voting, or are we just doing yeah, the thing? I'll count about? the votes. <laughs> ah, I, mean, I, I feel like I feel like this is a foregone conclusion. We can't not watch this movie. Although, I mean, do we want to? Do we want to make it the the primary uh, subject of the episode, or or what? I don't know, but. I just assumed this is what we'd be doing for B, I, but I, I suppose I could come up with a different B movie if I needed to. I mean, just... I, I came prepared with a pick that was not what we've been talking about, but I also came prepared to vote for what we've been talking about because it's what we've been talking about. Yeah, we're going to watch Big Trouble in Little China because it's Sean's <laughs> favorite movie, and I don't see any reason to not watch that uh, for our letter B pick because it's ridiculous we didn't watch the first time around. I've never seen it. Uh, Sean's got a whole pl uh, plan. I'm excited, and that's what we're going to do. It's going to be wonderful. You want to talk about a movie that's not a Wes Anderson movie. There's no hipster about this. There's no subtlety. There's no, here's a hidden message. Nay, nay, nay. John Carpenter's not trying to convey something. He's showing you a story. Here's there the is, story. There is big trouble in Little China. This is what's happening. There's big trouble in Little China. And Kurt Russell's going to deal with that shit. <laughs> May the wind be ever at your back and the road rise up to meet you. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this. I've uh, always wanted to see this movie. Are, are, are we watching it this weekend? No, we had to, uh, some stuff came up. We had to move it. Uh, I will send out a text. I think it's uh, the 30th, the 7th. God, I don't remember. The 25th. It's not this weekend. Whatever it is, it's not this weekend. Oh, well, I'm free this weekend. If you change it, I might not be free. I, 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 w I will try to work with you so you can come watch it outdoors with us. Hey, do you, how are you showing it outdoors? Like, how are you, like, do you have a thing? My brother-in-law's got, like, one of these real nice projector things and a big inflatable screen. Oh, okay. All right, so you got it covered. I, I have a thing that is not a real nice projector thing, but I, ju I just got it. Um, I've been like threatening to get it for a while. Like I keep saving up my Amazon points and then I keep seeing newer, better ones. And I'm like, I guess I got to keep saving my points and then I'll like spend some points and then it's like a whole thing. But, um, uh, yeah, just recently, well, it, it, because my wife was in the hospital for a little while when she came home, I was like, Oh, like I want a thing so we could watch TV in the bedroom. So I got this thing and it's like the size of a Coke can. Like it's like real small and like is you can just stream stuff right through it and it just like projects it on the ceiling. But like I think I got that because I got the cheapest one, like I think the newer ones are better and like the apps are more up to date and stuff like that. So like I had to do a lot of voodoo to like get get the right streaming apps on there, but like I don't know, it's pretty cool. It's like a little it's just a little Coke can thing that like is a is a projector and the speaker's really powerful. It's awesome. I might have I'm, to get one of those now. I am yeah. definitely in the market for a projector because this room we're sitting in is set up for movies. Like right above Sean's head, that's an HDMI cable and sound sound wires that runs through there, and then there's a screen that comes down right there. It's mm -hmm. a whole like this room is set up for a movie projector, and I just need the projector. But those things are expensive, like at least the nice ones. And that's my whole deal, so I don't want to get it down here unless 
I don't want to set it up if it's going to look worse than the TV that the screen would be covering. So, like, I need a nice projector, something that's going to display really nicely. And I have yet to be able to find the research on that that directs me in any any place other than a, like, $1,500 projector, which is absolutely not, not what I want to do. Well, next, oh, time, yeah. I, next time I come over, I'll bring this thing. Uh, you know, it's, it's not inconvenient yeah. for me to bring it. It's the size of a can of Coke. Uh, bring yeah. the can, yeah. and we'll aim it at my... Uh, Aiming at my screen and see how I feel about it. All right, cool. All right, well, Big Trouble in Little China. That's our movie for next month, and that is our show. Theater Near You is a part of the Geekade Podcast Network, and if you'd like to get in touch with us to share your comments, movie suggestions, or whatever, you can send us an email at mail at geekade.com. We can also be found on most social media outlets and the official Geekade Discord server, all of which can be found in our show notes. If you'd like early access to this podcast and several other Geekade Podcast Network, check out the Geekade Patreon linked to in the show notes. It helps keep the show running, I don't know, month after month. That's the word. And our site shiny and clean. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time in a theater near you. Freight train, freight train, you go so fast. Freight train, freight train, going right past. Freight train, freight train, going so fast. Freight train, freight train, going so fast. I don't know what train is on.